0: Deep, deep Dive, and a podcast, podcast of CGT Radio, go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning.
1: This is Roundtable.
2: Hello everybody, welcome to Rantable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Yang, good to have you along. Excessive packaging of consumer products is still rampant despite repeated calls to protect the environment, but the good news is 80% of consumers in a recent survey are against the over-packaging. Is consumer sentiment enough to change the practice? Is there a fine line between the perfect package and excessive packaging? And visiting a country fair has become a new favorite weekend activity for young people living in mega cities of China. What's attracting them to gandaji or visit these country fairs? For today's program, I'm joined by Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line, first on today's show. We've all seen the backlash from excessive packaging and the sustainability debate rages on. On the one hand, we've seen new environmentally friendly alternatives, single use bans, growing awareness among consumers. On the other, e-commerce packaging continues to be one of the worst offending sectors for excessive packaging, and all the deliveries we ordered during the pandemic possibly has a worsened effect in the grand scheme of things. A recent survey has revealed while the vast majority of consumers are against excessive packaging, only 16% of surveyed respondents took action in lodging a complaint. So tell us a bit more about this um, important survey, which measures consumer sentiment when it comes to packaging.
0: Yeah, in the second half of 2022, the China Consumers Association carried out a research on the problem of excessive packaging of commodities and a survey on consumers' perception. And they analyzed the packaging of 6,160 commodities through offline visits and searches on mainstream e-commerce websites. They collected 474 photos of 238 suspected excessively packaged commodities from consumer rights protection volunteers and the public, and they also collected more than 7,000 valid questionnaires. On March 28th, the China Consumer Association released this report, uh, and the report shows that 80.7% of consumers oppose excessive packaging. However, consumers awareness of excessive packaging can also be improved because the report says that only 34% of consumers understand the correct definition of excessive packaging and only 7.8% of consumers are familiar with the criteria for identifying the excessive packaging. So we can see it is difficult for like customers and consumers to, you know, identify excessive packaging by themselves. Because I think most of the time, consumers will just care about are their products well-protected or not.
2: Yes, that's definitely a top concern. Josh, uh, you're from the UK. Is excessive packaging a topic of discussion in e-commerce or retail in general in your country as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's been a massive demand for more environmentally conscious products to be on shelves, and this this is nothing particularly new, um, I for as long as I can really remember being alive and buying things in stores, I guess from when I started buying my own food, whenever that was, when I was a teenager, I can always remember in the supermarkets and um, wherever you were buying food from or if you were ordering it online, that things being eco-friendly, whether that's being sourced in an eco-friendly way and the people who, for example, may be producing the product in the country that it comes from are being paid a fair wage, etc., or whether the packaging itself is environmentally friendly, has always been a big issue, and it's, it's become part and parcel of a, a central theme of many companies' marketing campaigns as mm-hmm. well. It's almost got to the point now where so many companies talk of how environmentally friendly they're being that it's just sort of something you have to have, um, and there's arguably not enough investigation or standardization of this um, uh, to, to really know how effective it's being, but I think something that is a hot topic of discussion in my own country is plastics mm-hmm. and there's quite a big move to get rid of plastic packaging, but it's actually really difficult to get rid of plastic-free packaging. I mean, that's my sort of subjective evaluation of, of it, but, um, it, because in my opinion, although I don't think this is right, it always comes down to money
2: mm-hmm. and
1: plastic for better or for worse is is often the cheapest uh, option for brands um it's it, it's just much cheaper than than other alternatives and yeah but it's it's really quite shocking and it, it's really quite amazing that we still have have this because customers don't want it um and the earth certainly doesn't want it the environment doesn't want it so um it begs the question really what needs to be done to sort all of this out
2: Yes, and in China, we've seen excessive packaging become an evergreen topic in recent years. And in recent years, ever since the popularity of e-commerce really took off, the discussion of excessive packaging has been in the public discussion a lot more. And I bet you every year, and let's check this year when Double Eleven comes, so that would be november the 11th that's like a big shopping e-commerce carnival day for shoppers in this country. And right after that is usually the time we visit this topic. But uh, it seems like right now, already early on in the year, there is discussion about this. And this might have something to do with um, we're increasingly putting the pandemic in the rear view mirror, so to speak. And, um, and a lot of our living habits have changed, consumer habits have changed during the last three years, but now it's due to change maybe again or whatnot, and uh, maybe this has something to do with um, this talk about uh, excessive packaging or whatnot. And shouldn't. how would you define excessive packaging?
0: Yeah, most of the time you will just think, wow, this packaging is quite fancy because they were wrapped by so many layers. And actually on September the 2nd in 2021, the State Administration for Market Regulation held a press conference to explain the national standard on um, restricting excessive packaging on foods and cosmetics. And um, from the regulation, we can see consumers only need to check the weight or volume of the product and the outermost packaging and to see the ratio of them and then you can preliminarily determine whether the product has excessive packaging through the calculation. And it also strictly limited the number of packaging layers and stipulated that food and its processed products should not exceed three layers of packaging and other products should not exceed four layers of packaging and um, I think in this way, The requirements will be implemented from September 2023. Mm. And I think in this way, to some extent, it's um, helping the customers to reduce some burden because, you know, absolutely the, the, the shop owners or the business operators will put the cost on customers.
2: You mean easing the burden on the consumer is when the vendors have to put a cap on the amount of packaging they put on, therefore maybe it'll reduce the cost? So that's reducing the burden on the consumer? Is that what you mean?
0: I mean, most of the time, the cost of the packaging is included in the price of the product. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, the customer is just paying for all of these costs.
2: Okay. Um, yeah, Josh, I like to check with you. Um. Do you think that having a definition or a criterion on excessive packaging is important in curbing the problem.
1: I think so. I think that there needs to be much more standardization. I I think that it should be, we have the technology now to be able to calculate how much a product might weigh and then maybe how much packaging is suitable for that. Um, I've said this before on the show, actually, I'm quite lazy with Coffee, I, I love to drink coffee. I drink coffee, usually one cup in the morning or at some point in the day. And I will often order from, I will not name the store, but I order from a place and they the packaging is ridiculously excessive. And I love the coffee that comes from that place, but I feel guilty every time I order from there. Um, and I think that they should have a limit on the weight of the items and they should measure the amount of packaging against that. Now, I know that... Certain items are more fragile than others. Mm-hmm. And so that's the difficult thing to gauge actually For example, a cup of coffee as cheap as it might be is actually a very fragile Object in the sense that it can easily spill it can easily break right and so it re- it does require Packaging in order to protect it. Mm-hmm. I understand that but Also, I think that it shouldn't really be on the consumer. I think there should be a legal standard and that possibly maybe (laughs) this might be quite controversial, but if that's the case, if it's the case that a cup of coffee is considered a very fragile object, then maybe it shouldn't be allowed (laughs) to be delivered. Um, And maybe I should uh, be forced to go down to the store and buy it myself. I'm not sure, but something has to be done about this um, because everybody wants it apart from seemingly the companies that are distributing these items and it's either either illustrative of a huge disconnect between the manufacturers and the consumers, what I mean by that is that they don't understand that people hate this um, and they, for some reason, think that people want loads of packaging or it's something else, I don't know, but we Mm -hmm. have the means to deal with it. Right.
0: It sounds like you want to go green but you also want the convenience at the same time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm of the mind that I, I don't think it should necessarily be the consumer's issue. I don't think that, I know I'm sort of relieving myself of any guilt here, right? I'm not I'm not just <laughs> right. doing that, but I think that it shouldn't necessarily be the consumer's job to deal with this. I think that mm-hmm. there should be much stricter, stricter legislation that prevents this packaging from arriving at your house in the first place.
2: Mm, interesting, but also I think josh you've got all the ground covered except for you kind of (laughs) hold that one side of the view um yeah yeah yeah, because i think the solution um is one that you already found that is you should definitely go down to that shop with your own coffee cup or mug or tumbler and uh get your coffee that way i do it that way too (laughs)
1: Okay, you disagree though. Isn't that do you think that's fair though? Because that's just meaning that all the blame is on the consumer.
2: But otherwise, if you want to receive your coffee in the comfort of your home without spill, then it's gonna come wrapped like a mummy. That's what it's gonna be like. Otherwise, how do you do it? Maybe
1: in a bag. I don't know. Maybe it should be in a plastic bag. Not plastic. Okay, maybe it, yep, not. <laughs>
2: yep, 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 yep. <laughs> See, it, it, Okay, it's... maybe
1: I concede. Maybe you've persuaded me. I'm, yeah. I'm never going to order coffee again.
2: <laughs> Just go to the store your, yourself, you know, and, and meet people. Smile at the barista. Have some human contact. Get out oh, of no, your comfy abode from time to time. <laughs> okay.
1: They're not paying me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Alrighty. Well, oh, yeah, and, and sometimes the uh, delivery does come with an extra fee, and that's the delivery person's labor as well as packaging that is sort of levied on the consumer. And ultimately, we all know it's the consumer that's paying for all of this, right? So it's not just food delivery, though. And there are many other kinds of delivery of packages and parcels that we receive. And Yushun, what do you see as maybe sometimes it's necessary to have a lot of packaging or what are the obvious don't do it reasons as well? What do you think?
0: Yeah, just like what we mentioned before, like delivering a coffee, a cup of coffee, delivering like a package or a parcel is also something that we really need to mention right here because right now we all see that, you know, the hustle bustle of the delivery man and they have to you know, deliver and carry so many parcels in one day. So that's why I think they have been too busy to treat the packages carefully. For example, they, they often throw the packages onto the ground. And that is why many customers received broken items, especially fragile ones like porcelains or cell phones or cosmetics. And I think that is the reason why the, um, the business operators are putting more emphasis on putting more layers on their products. And another one is that come with this idea. They want to have a better reputation with this kind of move so that the customer can receive a well-protected product. And they think they received a quite, you know, fancy and high-end product. But I would say a good design of packaging can Mm -hmm. also bring the store a good reputation, right? Because I've been buying a lot of electronic accessories before and I saw many great designs. For example, a lot of them are using no plastic packaging right now and um, use some certain design to be both solid and Mm -hmm. integrated. I received my phone with a packaging that can be turned into just one hard cardboard and a plastic film or wrap. So I think that is um, quite a good design Mm -hmm. and um, it can be recycled.
2: Yeah, it makes you feel pretty good about that retailer and that brand because to have this kind of design, there's a lot of R&D that goes right to that. Mm. And also if that is cutting the emissions and is less energy consuming than in today's world with the younger demographic, which we think are more environmental friendly, then this can itself become a selling point. But for a lot of the if I may say, average sellers or vendors, let's say just on any e-commerce marketplace around the world, when it's individuals that are selling these goods, then rarely do I see such intricate design that goes to packaging and then it's usually just wrapping it up with mm. bubble wrap, multiple layers if they really want to protect this fragile product and... Uh, And if you go to the delivery services, then there will be cardboard boxes, one layer usually, but maybe there's more bubble wrap, who knows? And then, you know, it all goes to the standard delivery packaging that we receive every day. So in that sense, and that might represent like a wider case for more of the individual vendors out there, and then telling them how to cut this extra packaging, I think is, is something that we can definitely help the earth if we can successfully do that. But also there is this argument for fancy packaging, that is when you're buying nice stuff, if you're already paying a lot, and then I think it might break down to at least two categories. One is, are you giving this out as a gift? or are you using it yourself and then i think the purpose is different and then our demand for packaging could also be different because for a lot of the expensive cosmetic and skincare goods out there i often don't know what to do with the bottle because the bottles are just so extremely beautiful they're like art pieces on their own and once you finish using the cosmetic good and it's like I don't want to throw this thing away, but I don't want to keep it either. And it's just too pretty to be thrown away, but you throw it away anyway, and it can't really be recycled. But you know when you're paying basically an arm and a leg for that good, a lot of this extra added value that you're paying for is the brand and the packaging, how it's being presented to you. And let's say if that brand decided to... Ditch the fancy packaging. And will they reduce the price as well? Somehow I find that to be difficult. And then if they present... The goods to you this way, then it very likely will receive a backlash from consumers as well. It's almost like, I paid for the extra extravaganza, and you're not delivering it to me. And then it, it might have another adverse effect on the brand, the company. And also, let's say, you know, if you're buying something as a gift, and in China, there is this concept of mianzi, you know, kind of like this face thing that if you're giving it as a gift to someone, then sometimes you know the content is really too little compared to the packaging. But you pay for it anyway because you want to show that you are doing something special, you're giving something special to this person, and therefore the excessive packaging you know, might have a good reason to be there. But Josh, what do you think of all these different scenarios? And um, are you still firmly planting your foot in the camp of, let's kill excessive packaging?
1: Yeah, I I just want to piggyback off one thing that you mentioned that you were talking about, which is this confusion over recycling. And I, I think that that's really key. I think that that confusion comes from a lack of standardized and well understood and strict legislation and standards on on packaging. And I think that that trickles on through to the consumer who is then also very confused about what they should do with, for example, you mentioned that bottle, right? And actually, I think a a lot of brands there will, actually I've seen that they say that plastics, for example, can be recycled and that seems to be enough. But actually, it's not that simple because sometimes the cost of recycling certain plastics or objects, depending on their shape or what they're made of or where they are recycled, isn't always worth it. You know, I actually found out a shocking statistic in a paper called why is there plastic packaging in the natural environment this is from the science of total environment volume 740 2020 and they found that since 1950 less than 2% of plastic waste that's been produced has actually been recycled less than 2% mm-hmm. um and and for sure recycling uh, has gathered a momentum as as a norm a bit later than the 1950s, right? So we have to take this statistic with a pinch of salt. But I think something that this is quite illustrative of is that it's just really not as simple as as it seems, right? Recycling isn't simple. And I think it needs to be simplified for the consumer right. especially. It's not simple to simplify it, but for the consumer, for us, it has to be more understandable.
2: Right, and in China, we've seen in recent years the plastic ban on plastic straws and other kind of single use packaging as such. um, Well, that's simple and straightforward to understand, but uh, it did take some time to gain traction as well um, because having the awareness as opposed to actually making change and government coming out with regulations, it takes a bit of a process, so to speak. So how can we improve the situation in cutting excessive, way too much packaging?
0: I think reuse is a keyword in this situation. Just like what you guys are saying, like the bottles. Maybe it's hard to recycle, but maybe reuse can be a better way for them. And also I think from the perspective of the these business operators, they can find some ways to actively motive the customers to reuse. Because I saw some really brilliant um designs on the box of laptops. They actually um, after you opened up the box and you can fold the cardboard and use it as a laptop stand so that um, the customers will not go into, there's no need for them to buy a stand and they can also reduce the waste on every, on these very reliable cardboard because most most of the time the, the boxes of the laptops are really hard and mm-hmm. solid. Yes. Um. So, and another point is that of course the officials, We mentioned before, they have offered some official guidelines to regulate like specifically the layers, the number of the layers of the um, packaging.
2: Right. Layers is one thing, but also I'm concerned about the material because if we can reduce plastic use, I think that's definitely a big one. And with a lot of the high quality cardboard boxes, Don't worry, they are being recycled. Once you leave it outside of your apartment or near the bin, in the bin area, some older person usually would come sniffing around and take it and resell it. (laughs) Well, that's part of the recycle process here in this mm. country as well to, to some extent so to wrap up this topic josh you have the important task of reiterating to us really how detrimental excessive packaging is to human race and our environment
1: yeah absolutely uh, excessive packaging plastic packaging in particular is extremely wasteful and it seriously impacts the earth's Ecosystems, which we got to remember, we we depend on as part of that, that ecosystems, and um, it's often due to poor product design. Um, it can be to do with legislation, poor legislation, um, and sadly, the majority of plastic waste is sent to to landfills. Now, um, who who am I personally blaming for this? Well, I I think, as I mentioned before, I think the options and the technology are more re- readily available than they ever have been in history. To with better options for this. And I think that responsibility is on the manufacturers. I think that they need to be held to account. Mm -hmm. And I think that they need to to do a better job to cut down on excessive packaging.
2: Right. Yes. And I still like to think that the individual has some power here as well, because even in China with this recent survey, it shows public sentiment, user awareness, and that is cut the over packaging and keep the necessary stuff. You're listening to Roundtable. We'll be back after this break with Gandaji. Why is it so appealing to visit country fairs?
1: I was born on the
0: 17th of the November. Delve into a world door, of words with books and beyond a podcast made especially for audiobook lovers.
1: I came into the
0: world as the youngest of five children. I wondered children. what Her Majesty would be like. Fie uh, upon
1: you, do? limpid one, why have you taken...
0: Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics from the comfort of your own personal space. Sun Zhe underlined three points on the context again. game initiative. There was initiative. no better
2: wine, and not to mention... the.
0: Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, our carefully curated selection of audio books will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audiobook adventure now on radio.cgtn.com or your favourite podcast app. Discussion keeps the world turning.
1: This is Roundtable.
2: You're listening to Rantable with myself, Hua Yang. I'm joined by Yushan in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, visiting a country fair has become a new favorite weekend activity for young people living in megacities of China. What's attracting them to Gan or visiting these country fairs? And should pregnant women be allowed to jump the queue in a popular restaurant? So you know, the waiting list is probably long. Well, we'll discuss. If you've never sent us a voice memo, there's no better time than now. Tell us what you think. What's better, send us your audio questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your questions could be answered in our heart-to-heart segment. And it'd be great to include your name, the province or region you live in, so we know a little bit more about you. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. Now on Roundtable as we continue today's discussion. Many young people living in big cities have a new pastime. That is, getting up bright and early on the weekend and visit a country fair at the city peripheries. Isn't it a bit counterintuitive? We assume young people want to sleep in and do something cool on the precious weekends because you're so busy every workday. But instead, they visit country fairs on weekends? Tell us about the appeal of Yu yushun. Or maybe you don't really like it. Just tell us what you think then.
0: Yeah, I thought so as well. <laughs> um, in the past, young people might only visit some fairs before or during the uh, spring festival holiday period to do some Chinese New Year shopping because um, some traditional Chinese snacks are sold on such fairs. But now it has become a routine for many young people every week. And in most of people's minds, high-end shopping malls in downtown area or places like coffee shops handicraft shops and places are the places that gen zers or young people may go because they're more instagramable and they people can just take pictures with filters and publish on social media but now we can see they are like holding sausages or (laughs) coconuts and visit the booths that's selling these cheap agricultural goods or accessories. And they're quite popular because we can see there is usually a traffic jam more than 10 minutes drive from the fair and there are traffic police and security guards in front of the fair to guide the traffic. Um, What I cannot understand is that from the news, I saw most of the fairs in countryside opens and close really early. So if it's me, it's basically impossible for me to get up even earlier on weekends than on weekdays just to visit the fairs in the suburban area.
2: Yeah, yeah, I understand that sentiment (laughs) for sure. But yeah, a lot of people are really enthusiastic these days to hit the country fair and the products and goods that are on display could be quite different from what you see in the malls shopping centers in the city so it's kind of nice to have a change of taste in a way and maybe that's part of the appeal for some people. Josh what is a country fair like in your country and um, is it a place where hipsters no I mean young people would be interested in?
1: Hipsters? (laughs) Wow. Um, Well you know fairs in Britain have been really a a staple part of social life and and society since medieval times, and sometimes we also call them fates, right? Um, it's it's spelt slightly different uh, to like fate, as in your fate, your future sort of thing. It's it's like F E with a um, an accent above it, T E. Anyway, um, there's a lot of them around the UK. Uh, I can speculate as to why there are so many first of all because they've been around for so long and uh, also because britain is very green that part of the world is, is very green which it's partly because of the weather and as everybody knows there's a lot of rain in the united kingdom but the consequence of that is that there's a lot of grass and it's really thick fine but thick grass which is very perfect for having things like fairs where people can walk around on this soft ground. And also, you know, when you have a fair like this, I I notice in Beijing sometimes in the summers in Chaoyang Park, for example, often after many people have gone there to have picnics, it can get quite dry and dusty, right? And it takes a long time for the grass to grow back. Um, Luckily in the United Kingdom, it's not like this. The grass can grow back in about three days because of the amount of rain. So Mm -hmm. this is one reason as well. and. I guess how would it look different you know i i really hate the internet sometimes because when i was doing some research for this show and i tried to find out some comparisons about british food at our fairs compared to chinese food everything that kept coming up the autofills were why is british food so bad and it was just <laughs> just loads of pages criticizing my country's food but i'll tell you and i'm biased here but the food at our fairs is very interesting and it is um you know whole grain and organic and it's from the farmer and it tastes brilliant and we have a lot of pies and <laughs> sausage rolls and Pasties. other things that taste exactly the same wow but, you know i still i i encourage everybody to go try it and um yeah Uh, So so we still have that traditional aspect and it is having a resurgence after COVID as well. I found as well, they are Mm -hmm. becoming popular again.
2: Why do you think is that? Well, people just want to get out.
1: I mean, obviously COVID is definitely one thing people having been isolated for a long time. And I, I imagine that this has got something to do with it. But I also have noticed that to some degree, Um, they're modernizing, and one example that I can give, which I think I've seen in China as well, is that whole foods, organic foods, smaller companies making more niche specialist products are really utilizing social media Mm. to market their products. Things like being Instagrammable, as Usham mentioned, this kind of thing. These products are also very Instagrammable, right? You have these products where you know where all the ingredients have come from they're very individual. Maybe people haven't seen this bottle of kombucha or uh, this type of tomato before and this type of sauce before or something like this. And I think that the market has become a really Instagrammable place Um, I know that sounds a bit shallow, but I definitely think this has got something to do with it.
2: Yeah, I happen to have visited a few country fairs in the UK as well. One was going to a literal country fair, like in the middle of nowhere. Usually that would just be lush green plain and then at that specific time all the farmers in nearby towns would drive up to that area and then set up stalls and start selling stuff and that part I could understand as a bona fide city girl um, but I was pleasantly surprised that I bumped into a beauty pageant for pigs and then all the pigs were dressed up nicely and uh, oh yeah, and another beauty pageant for studs, horses and um, and and it was just like any other um, beauty, Uh, competition for human beings and there was an anchor who was spilling out all these flowery compliments to the pigs and the horses and then there was an auction and then that was like a really interesting experience of a British country fair and also in London, you know, there are so many popular markets and fairs that one could visit, like the Portobello Road Antique Market, and then they have some really nice stuff being sold there, and uh, quite the experience. And here in China, what do you think is driving young people so interested to these fairs? Apparently, some people say that um, it's almost like frozen in time, that the stuff that's mm. sold there and also and and they remind you of a more uh maybe rustic or authentic olden times than what it might be now and also things might be cheaper so what you what's your take on this
0: Yeah from what you guys were describing I think the farms outside of China were more like a farm thing they mostly sell agricultural products but in these farms in China I think it's more like um, a grocery store fair. You know, they can buy basically everything that you want in your daily life. And also it's very down to earth, no matter the product or the price. So first of all, when you're going to these kind of fairs, you don't need to dress up very well. And you can go there and see all of the people are just focusing on what they're going to buy, but not your looking. And another thing is that, sure, of course, the price can be quite reasonable and affordable. And you can even, first of all, taste the food before you buy it. And you can smell the food they're attracting you to make the purchase. And even see many, like, childhood snacks you cannot find in urban markets. And I think that is also one of the biggest reasons that people would like to go to these kind of fairs. Because they can have that kind of nostalgic feeling that they had in their childhood and um, not only the products they can buy but also the people in the fairs they can talk to the elderly in the market and um, just like what they did in their childhood Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i mean i guess that that might ring true i i personally think that the reason for i think this kind of event will always be popular i think there's a reason that it's been popular since medieval times because in some form or another, we love to go outside. I think that being outside in the nature surrounded by food and seeing where the product comes from or having a bit of a closer connection at least to where that product comes from, be it that the farmer themselves is selling a product that they've grown, hopefully that they really have, or somebody is selling a, a food, food produce or drink that they've created. And sourced themselves. I think that there's just something um, so immersive uh, about that, and I think it just um, harbors a really fun and social environment. So whether we call it a fair, or a fate, or a market, or a festival, or whatever, I think just getting away from the city and being around good food and good people is always going to be a winner And in, uh, in some regard. Don't you agree?
2: Yeah, you have sold the concept very well to me. But also, I suspect the reason why in China or in the Chinese cities, we haven't seen so many fairs until recently or in recent years, maybe on the periphery of the city, is that we have this city management issue because the local regulators usually would want to, of course, The vendors to be selling food that are safe and hygienic and all that stuff and also if you have a huge gathering in a city then Mm. um, you don't want it to be messy and creating a whole bunch of garbage left over once people leave and um, I understand for managing the city then there are all these um different aspects that the regulators would be thinking about. And that's why you don't necessarily see big country fairs in the seat of a city, for example. And in the past, um, in the countryside of China, then this is something pretty normal, usual for folks in villages or nearby towns to gather together maybe every morning sometimes, or in certain areas, it would be only on the weekends to sell produce, that kind of thing. And that is something I think we're quite used to. But in the city, and um, this has become something that is appealing to the younger generation, so after everything being said and done, would you get up early on a weekend to visit a country fair?
0: To be honest, there is still zero chance for me to get up early to go to such kind of fairs, unless it's my parents are dragging me out of my bed and require <laughs> me to buy something on these markets. And I may consider going, but because even thinking about going to a crowded street with uh, the smell of all the food and raw materials especially you know after the three years of social distancing state of mind i just cannot be a fan of this country fair but yes i can understand and relate to what they're thinking and we've mentioned before the kind of nostalgia we may have from our childhood but that's because I think when we were kids, we may not care about too much and we just want to buy something that we like to eat on the market. And um, yeah, if, if we got chance, of course, I can visit the market, but not that early.
2: So if it's a night market, then you would consider going.
0: Oh, yeah, that's appealing.
2: All right. What about you, Josh?
1: I think, Yushun, I am going to drag you to a fair one day and it will be the best day of your life. Um, how come? Because... <laughs> well, maybe I'm being a bit dramatic, but I, I think that you should really consider trying it someday. I, I, I think that there's, yes, I will go to the fair, obviously, I, but I think there's just something so good about getting up early and, you know, there's something so vibrant about that. I, I, I appreciate that I might be a morning person, and I also appreciate that in China, the night market is definitely much more established as a sort of social norm, right? Uh, Something that uh, it it does not exist um, in such abundance in my own country for sure the night market most people will go to the pub or something at night Um, So maybe it's just maybe it's just this really Um, and you guys do have fairs, But they just exist at night And maybe that's because also I know that in China people do tend to start work quite a bit later and finish a lot later as well, but I've noticed that so Maybe it's just that everything happens a little bit later in China. I don't know. But yes, I will go to the fair. I shall.
2: Well, then you are very much welcome, I would think. And uh, yeah, join the crowd, you know. In China, actually, I see a lot of people getting up super early and go to work. And I'm always astounded that a lot of the different types of occupations require people to go so early. And that's why the morning rush hour is like that. But... um, Yeah, with the night markets, a lot of the time it's when it's a warmer city or the warmer climate that um, it's located in, and therefore, you know, there's more of a vibrant night economy as such. And in Beijing, where we are bringing you this show, it's lovely weather we have now, and it's just only going to get warmer. So stay tuned. In the future months of shows, I'm sure we'll talk more about the summer night market and going out for an evening stroll and uh, doing all kinds of fun activities later in the day.
0: Speaking of the time, you know, I think it relates to the origin of these fairs because we've talked about it. It probably originated from farmland. So I think globally the fairs all open early and uh, that's because like the vegetables and the agricultural products, they require you to sell them freshly. And then you have to get up early and go to the market to buy and purchase these products early. So I think, yeah, it's kind of, um, it's, it, most of people, uh, if we're talking about why they just in favor of going to these markets, I think most of them are just going for the atmosphere there.
2: Yes, and speaking of country fairs, I remember a song <laughs> called Scarborough.
1: Are you going to sing it? <laughs> Let's do it fair. <sighs> No, I'm just kidding.
2: Yeah, and we, yeah. we know somebody who's from exactly there. Josh! Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Scarborough Fair is actually a song about a country fair. Is that a fair way to say it?
1: Yes, well, Scarborough is my hometown, and of course... It's most famous internationally because of the song Scarborough Fair and I will tell you that Scarborough Fair is or maybe was is the correct uh, form of the verb to use a real thing it does still exist um in some form but it's quite different but Scarborough Fair was the song was popularized by Simon and Garfunkel I think but it's it's actually it's actually an old medieval song um it's a very old folk song and nobody really knows exactly when it was written, hundreds of years old Um and yeah if you know the the, the song parsley, rosemary and thyme, she once was a true love of mine mm. I can tell you that the fair looks a little bit different now but every year if you go to Scarborough you will find that there are some rides and flashing lights and um yeah it's, it's not as idyllic as maybe the song makes out but it's still a fair it's still going, and I'm glad that that song at least put my little town on the map.
2: Yes, it's globally famous, and I like Sarah Brightman's rendition a little bit better. Maybe just that yeah, was the first version that I that's fair. That's, fair. that's, that fair. that's a good
1: pun. Though. There you go. That's <laughs> fair. Fair enough.
2: <laughs> yes, I like it very much. You're listening to Rantable. Coming up next, should pregnant women be allowed priority access in a restaurant? Stay with us.
1: Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal.
2: It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. A popular hot pot restaurant allowed... A pregnant woman to jump the queue, jump the queue or easy access? Shouldn't that be offered to a pregnant lady? What is the fuss about?
0: Hmm, this hot pot chain restaurant became the focus of the public because its waiter helped a pregnant woman cutting line, while a netizen. Explained that she had already waited for about 40 minutes when she opposed such a move. Um, and um, she said, unlike giving seats, she didn't know how long it would take for her to wait for another table, so she posted this online to express her dissatisfaction, which has attracted heated discussions. Um, yeah.
2: So is it company policy that pregnant women, older folks... I don't know what exactly would fall in the scope of people who have sort of priority access. Does that exist?
0: I think that is the point because the company didn't like explicitly express they have such kind of regulation and they just did it. with Out of op-
2: the kindness of heart. Right. <laughs> or actually some people say, yeah, this could be the human touch. um that the restaurant puts on display, or this is kind of unfair for the other customers who've waited 40 minutes or, you know, just a long time to get into the restaurant. Josh, what's your take on this?
1: I think that this is part of a bigger question around how much assistance should be given to anybody that is in discomfort whether that be because they're pregnant or maybe because they're elderly or they're physically disabled, or maybe they're a young child that may be tired. I know that that's also a debate. Um, and I think it's, it's more a conversation around this about how much help should be given, how much priority should be given to these people. Um, we've spoken on this show before about seats on trains, right? And uh, whether, how strict it should be, you know, giving people these priority seats um or not and whether people should give those seats up i think that my argument and my belief remains the same is that i think that there may be some instances where for example somebody's been stood up on the train for a very long time or someone's been stood in the queue for a very long time and that individual person um might feel as though it's wrong for them to give up their place but i think generally speaking with law and with regulation like this, you have to cover a wide variety of uh, people and it's never gonna be perfect for everybody. Generally, I think that yes, Mm. uh, you should allow a pregnant woman to cut in line.
2: What about the internet users? Um, And there seems to be a heated discussion about this. Um, You shouldn't, what do you see as should or should not the pregnant lady be allowed priority access.
0: Yeah, the domestic media, the paper uh, launched an online poll, attracted nearly 50,000 votes, and the results showed 67% of the respondents were fine with the pregnant woman jumping line and 16% said they could not accept it and 15% of the respondents thought the decision should be made depending on the situation. I think it's more of a responsibility of the restaurant, um, because morally there's no doubt that the pregnant woman has the priority in lines, but from the perspective of other customers, uh, specifically in this case, this lady, um, they didn't do anything wrong. Um, They are also fighting for their own rights. So I, I saw many like bubble tea shops, they clearly show that they have some regulations on, um, they give priority for pregnant women on queuing. Um, so some even say that like newly married couples can have the chance to not to queue in the line. But anyway, Why?
2: yeah, that's just like to... <laughs> a rude discrimination towards unmarried people.
0: Well, just to celebrate or something. But they <laughs> at, at least they tell people and set a reminder outside of the store and giving you the idea that that is our regulation and um, people will be okay with that because it's just their regulation. And maybe I assume if they, like every customer acknowledge this rules, um, nobody will complain about it. And on the contrary, people may even praise such move because it's actually care for the vulnerable group. Um, And it maybe become a selling point of this brand, which is another free promotion among customers i think
1: is the question about whether it's being used for marketing purposes this kind of customer service i think if i think this is a valid point and i think yeah of course it can be but i don't see anything wrong with that personally i think that i would want to go to a restaurant where they let pregnant <laughs> women cut in line that's the kind of restaurant that i want to go to it sounds like a place that that where they take care of their customers and mm-hmm. i'm sure that there's There's quite a lot of restaurants that probably wouldn't even care and probably wouldn't even get involved in the dispute at all. So um, I think that this just shows uh, a really high level of customer care, which Mm. to me probably also means that the restaurant's pretty good.
2: Yeah, well, that restaurant is kind of known for a very personal touch of customer service. And it's even driven uh, criticism to some extent when... Is the restaurant chain too caring, giving too much attention to people? So it's really interesting when the restaurant uh, opened shop in America and uh, this very attentive customer service actually was met with mixed reviews. And uh, that's kind of an interesting talking point of cultural differences, possibly, but maybe for a different show. And I suspect that why the female customer was complaining and didn't allow didn't want to give up her seat um, to the pregnant lady was simply because waiting for 40 minutes, and that's pretty challenging for any average person. But I would still like to raise one point, that is the law and regulations are only the bottom line of society. I would like to uh, see them as the safety net of society. Well, if everyone shifted their focus outward a little bit and was open to offering a stranger a low to no cost kindness, standing, giving up that position in line for a pregnant lady, I think would offer a better experience for everybody, possibly. You're listening to Roundtable and that brings us to the end of today's Roundtable. Thank you so much Yushun and Josh Cotterell for joining the discussion. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time.